Y'all doing all right? Sorry, we're going to get the... Can you, can, we'll fix it. Hey, uh, Peyton, where you at? Come on, man. Come on, come on, come on. Get your drumsticks up here. We got another top ten list, friends. Is, is that going to be okay? Okay. All right. I felt like uh, last week it was kind of a downer. We broke up a lot last week. Ten times last week we broke up. You're not paid to do that. So, uh, okay. Well, you're not paid at all. So that works. <laughs> that works out. Um, so we broke up a lot. We broke up ten times last week. So I felt like today I would give you some ammunition for not breaking up, but for starting relationships. So what this is is the top ten list. Relevant Magazine did another top ten list for pickup lines, corny Christian pickup lines. So you, you're not, these are corny. So if you choose to use these, know that she's heard it in here that it's a corny pickup line. So not going to work. All right, here we go. Number 10. I overheard two leaders at camp and one said, can I get your Facebook information so I can keep encouraging you after this is over? Now I'm old but get your Facebook information? Doesn't that mean like their name? <laughs> Facebook's weird. Okay, here we go. Number nine, your middle name must be Grace because baby, you're amazing. Oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> Number eight. Hey, girl, I've got the gift of prophecy, and I see you in my future. Oh, abuse of the gifts, huh? Abuse of the gifts. Number seven. Say, girl, is your name Faith? Because you're evidence of things I've hoped for. Come on. Come on. Anybody? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Throw it in there. Okay. Woo! These are all guys, man. We got to step it up. Okay, number six. This one's terrible. Hey, girl, do you prefer sloppy wet kiss or unforeseen kiss? <laughs> Nobody? You get it? You get it? Okay, good. We get it. Okay. Guys, are we gonna, this is just a side note. You're going to have to tell me why you start everything with hey, girl. There's where you're, that's a bad way to start. Okay. Finally, someone from the female perspective here. Okay, number five. I was reading the book of Joshua, and I wondered how many times I would have to walk around you to make you fall for me. Uh, that's good. There you go. That's just corny. It's so corny, it just might work. <laughs> okay, number four. I know you've accepted Jesus into your heart, but it's, there's still room in there for me. Heretical also. So. Okay, number three. Hi, I'm Will. God's will for you. Oh, no. These are getting worse. These are getting way worse. Okay, number two. Hey, I was looking in the book of Numbers and saw that I didn't have yours. Come on, that's my favorite one. I like that one. You guys didn't like that. Okay. Here we go. Number one, corny Christian pickup line, you must be made out of water because Jesus turned you into fine. Oh, wow. Ta 
top 10 corny breakup lines. All right. Peyton Lindsay on the drums. All right. Man, that's a ton of fun. Thanks, Jonathan. Golly, those are great. Okay. Those are awesome. I oh, love it. Okay, so we had to start off a little light and fluffy this morning uh, because we are into... Man, I'm... John, I'm... Am I in monitors or something, or is it just, just going to be that way? Okay. Okay. Um, so, because this week we're going to talk about a pretty serious topic. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, pornography. Last week... Uh, now, let me... Sorry, let me back up. Let me preface this. For those of you that maybe this is your first time in here, uh, in a while we're going through a relationship series. We are a long way in... Um, so what we did the last two weeks, kind of where this fits, is uh, two weeks ago, we talked about sexual intimacy and what a right view of sexual intimacy looks like. This last week, we talked about a wrong view. Okay, how is our culture defined uh, sexual intimacy? What does your generation believe? Uh, and that was kind of, that was what we talked about uh, last week. Now, within that discussion... You have to talk about pornography because pornography is in a huge way shaping your belief system about sexual intimacy. But we just talked about it, uh, I would say, somewhat briefly. And so I felt like uh, it would be really important because statistically, I told you last week, statistically, uh, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm not going to do that, but statistically, every one of you in here has viewed some version of pornography. That's what stats would say, that it's 100% across the board. And then uh, the, uh, otherwise, statistically, that, that uh, right around 90 to 95% of you have at some point in your life habitually looked at pornography. So that's what statistics would say about this room. And yes, it doesn't matter that this is the church. That's a sad thing, but it doesn't matter that this is the church. The statistics are, are largely indifferent between uh, Christians and non-Christians. In some cases, the statistics are worse uh, within the church, which is a sad reality. But uh, I felt like it would be super, super, super important for us to address uh, some of these things. So let me just kind of give you a bit of a recap. Uh, actually, just one thing uh, that I wanted to, to highlight again that I think is really important from last week. Uh, we, we looked at a study from 1990 to 2015. And uh, it was a study of college students and, uh, and their sexual activity. And, uh, and uh, five years ago, there were only 13% of college students in this study that claimed virginity, okay? 13% college students in this study five years ago. Today, that number is a striking 40%, meaning that 40% of college students now are claiming that, that, they, are, uh, that they are still virgins. This is a, this is a kind of a mind-numbing statistic. It's a, really, it's a really good thing, but it also should be showing us the product of our pornified culture. And we read, uh, read a quote uh, from... Uh, a pastor that talked about how this is, this is why these sexual revolutions always end up so boring. Because at the end of the day, we talked about Christ and the church being the model uh, for all relationships, right? So uh, not for all relationships, I'm sorry, uh, for uh, marriage relationships, right? It's a model of Christ and the church. And so if sexual intimacy is built only for marriage, uh, then it is. Then when we go after sexual intimacy outside of marriage, we're not understanding the true heart that God has for it, and it ends up broken and uh, and leaves us really. It leaves us empty. And so what he's saying is the, the uh, kind of modern day theologian here, uh, Russell Moore, was saying that this is why it always ends up so boring because we're going after something that we're not finding in sexual intimacy. 
Same thing, people go after some sort of satisfaction, some sort of, uh, of uh, fulfillment when they chase uh, maybe drugs or alcohol. And the same is true uh, within the realm uh, of sexual intimacy. And so what your generation is realizing across the board, listen, this is not a church study. Across the board, what your generation is realizing is that just random uh, or, or, or non-committal sexual intimacy is not really all it's cracked up to be. And you're, and you're rejecting it. Now, you still believe that you're the only one doing it. That was one of the statistics that I thought was really interesting, that most college students still believe that they're the only ones that are not having sex all the time. Uh, but, but you are, in large part, 40% of you are rejecting this notion that, uh, that virginity is a negative thing. And uh, so what we're, what we're seeing is an opportunity for the church. And I wanted to just, I didn't have a chance to reemphasize this last week. What we're seeing is an opportunity for the church. I hope that you see in these statistics your generation uh, reaching out and crying out for something of deep fulfillment. And think about it. Even in the context of relationships, sexual intimacy is built for a marriage relationship. Your generation is crying out for something that will bring fulfillment in the area of relationships. And that, that thing is not going to be uh, a, an intimate sexual relationship with, with uh, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That thing is Christ. That thing that is going to ultimately fulfill is Christ and being fulfilled on the inner man. And then uh, fr- from a position of fulfillment, we can enjoy relationships the way that they're meant to be enjoyed. So I hope that you see that. I hope that you realize that. I hope that you recognize that you have an opportunity for conversation within this, uh, within this category. So we've got a lot to cover uh, this week, and, uh, and probably what we're going to do is going to break this into two weeks. I really don't prefer to do that, but uh, I don't want to shortchange any of, our, any of our topics. So we'll see. We'll see how far, that we, we'll see how far we get. Um, okay, so here we go. Why are we going to talk about porn, and particularly why are we going to talk about freedom? This is a conversation that I think you have probably heard some, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what your exposure to this discussion is. Sometimes this is a conversation that happens so much that you almost become numb to it. You hear the statistics, you hear the problems, you hear the issues, and you almost become somewhat numb to the topic. Oh, it's another talk about porn. It's another talk about sexual illness. It's another, you know, another one of these talks from church, and what's going to happen is we're going to be told, don't do it, Right? So some of you are numb to it. There's, a, there's another group of you that aren't actually numb to it. You're a little bit uncomfortable right now. The reason you're a little uncomfortable right now is because you've never heard this discussed within the confines of a church. You've, you've never heard believers really dialogue about this problem. And, and so we kind of want, you will fall somewhere in that, somewhere in that range. But the reality is this is an incredibly important topic that we talk about. And the reason is uh, because and it may be surprising why I feel so strongly about it. Yes, this will affect your marriage someday. Yes, this is an addiction that will keep you in bondage. It's true. But at the core, what pornography does, when we get trapped in pornography, it sabotages our ability for intimacy. And here's what I mean by that. Number one, it sabotages your ability to have interpersonal relationships. I don't just mean uh, dating relationships. I don't mean just marriage relationships, though those are affected as well. 
But when you're broken in the area of intimacy, connection with another human being becomes difficult. The ability to have deep and meaningful connection is totally fractured when we become slaves to pornography. Here's the worst part. It's not just our interpersonal relationships that get broken. The worst thing is that when we're broken in the area of intimacy, it affects our relationship with God. You were created to be at the core, the deepest level of who you are is meant to be satisfied by the presence of God. This is really the definition uh, of intimacy, is a relationship that you have with God. It's this deep and abiding relationship that God has from within you. He lives in you, right? We accept Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. The person of God now lives in you, and the desire of God is to live in you, transform you, and live through you to affect the world around you. But here's the deal. Everything you do in your Christian life is built on that relationship. You with me? Everything is built on that intimacy with God. So here's the deal. Why, does the, why is the enemy so concerned uh, about pornography? Why is he pushing this brokenness in the area of sexual intimacy? Because he knows this. If I can break intimacy in you, then your relationship with God will be fractured. And if you're supposed to lead out and make disciples of all nations based on your intimacy with God, then I can sabotage your ability to do that by breaking your ability to be intimate. Do you see this? The enemy is after your ability to have intimacy with God. He's doing it by breaking your ability to have intimacy, period. He's doing it by totally skewing what an intimate relationship looks like. And he's fracturing your relationship with God and therefore sabotaging your ability to lead. Listen, we always bark at men. And guys, I, look, I'm, I'm a dude. I, I get this as well. We always bark at men that they're not leading well right now. Is that true? Yeah, it's probably true. Men in the church, we, we could stand to be uh, shaped up a bit. But here's the deal. The reason many of us are not leading is not because we are scared of leading. It's not even really because we don't know how. It's because many of us, many of us in this room, many of us in our churches are totally plagued and broken and addicted to pornography. And because of that, our intimacy with God is broken. And because our intimacy with God is broken, we have no legs to stand on when it comes to leading. The enemy is after this thing. And I'm going to tell you what freedom means. Freedom means a rescue for men in the church, particularly. Now listen, ladies, you're not exempt. The statistics are actually pretty crazy that women, you are coming along at a fast rate. It really did used to be more, in terms of addiction to pornography, it really did used to be primarily a male issue. Women, you guys are closing the gap rapidly. That's why I said that, uh, that in this room, probably 100% of you have at least viewed pornography. The statistics are starting to really not change much from male to female. Though female are still uh, lagging behind a little bit, you're closing the gap quickly. The enemy is after intimacy with all of us. This is an absolutely vital topic. The last thing I'll say before we really talk about getting uh, freedom is that porn and addiction to porn, just like any other sin, listen to me, if you miss this, all you're going to do is get self-help from this topic, and I don't want that. Porn and any other sin issue is a manifestation of brokenness on the inside first. You hear me? Most of what we do in church 
Most of what we do, even in our own lives, we, what we do is we look at the outside, we look at the way that we're behaving, we don't like it, and so we try to change our behavior. What we miss is that our behavior is actually the last thing that happens. Before you can behave in any certain way, something has to occur on the inside. So to behave in holiness and righteousness, right? I can't just produce holiness and righteousness. There has to be a right heart condition. There has to be a a proper stance before God. There has to be humility before God. There has to be a desire to be used. There has to be a submission to the spirit. And then from that, that all happens on the inner man. You with me? All that happens on the inside. From that, then righteousness flows. And you can look at my actions and you can see righteousness. You with me? So it's the same way with brokenness. When we're broken on the inside, when our, when our heart is wrong, when we're shattered and busted, when there's sin in our life and we're seeing it on the outside, if all we ever do is try to quit the behavior, we've missed it. You guys ever had a weed problem? I don't mean that kind. I didn't mean. You guys ever chopped weeds? Come on, this generation, now you're losing me. What if you what if you chop the head of a weed? It's going to grow back, right? Cuz what did you, what did you not deal with? Yeah, you didn't deal with the roots. So what we've done as a church by and large is what we've done is we've said here's the way to behave, here's the way not to behave. And we've, we've taken the bad behavior and we've chopped the bad behavior and we've forgotten that all of that sprang forth from a heart that is busted and broken. And that if repentance and wholeness and healing doesn't first happen on the inner man, then my behavior will never change. Yes, I may be deceived. I may be able to shift my behavior for a moment, but because my heart never changed, guess what? At some unexpected point, it's coming back. And any of you that have ever lived in any kind of struggle with sin, particularly things that are addictive like pornography, and it doesn't have to be pornography, but any of you that that have ever lived in this world know this, that, that you hate yourself the most after you view pornography. You absolutely hate yourself. You walk away from that moment and you just go, I can't believe I did it. Why is that true? Because you're guilty before God. You're in, the moment, you're in the middle of this moment where you're going, I can't believe I did that very thing that I hate doing, and here I am again. You hate yourself, and you cry out for God, God, would you please help me? Would you please help me? Would you please help me? And we, then we start to put into place measures that we believe are going to keep us from doing the thing that we hate doing. And listen to me, some of you, for a, it works for a while, right? It works for a little while. There may be a week or a month or six months that you go, and you, and you don't fall again. But the pain and the hurt of that first offense, that pain and the hurt of that moment, it's only going to launch you so far. Guilt and shame will only get you so far. If actual healing never takes place, you are bound to repeat the very same thing. And some of you have been through most, the most extreme measures trying to kill this sin in your life. But the problem is all of it has been aimed at stopping your behavior. And you end up in the very same spot. Because nothing ever shifted in here. Guilt and shame were heavy. And you moved based on guilt and shame, but nothing ever shifted in here. And so to begin this discussion, we have to first say that this begins by the Spirit of God. This work of freedom does not begin by your desire or ability to get free. 
This work of freedom first happens by the Spirit of God. And it's continued and it's sustained by the Spirit of God. And what we've got to do in order to get free, but not just get free for a moment, because I could pump you all up in this room and you could walk out of here and go, whoa, we're never looking at porn again. How long would that last? How long would that emotional high last? I don't want to give you that. What I want to give you is I want to give you the, the ability in the deepest, darkest moments of your day to walk in faith and overcome the enemy which has already been defeated. That's lasting freedom. And if we don't go after that, then we've missed it. We're just medicating ourselves. So what I'm going to try to do this morning is, I really don't think, I mean, that introduction was way too long for me to finish. So I'm going to try to go through the first two real principles of freedom. But listen to me. Please, please, please listen. This is where I really, I, I want to promise you, I wrestle with even, even doing this in this environment. The reason why is because I'm, a, I'm so, and this is just, look, this is just my flesh, and I realize it, but I'm so afraid that you're going to hear, if I'll just perform this way, then I'll get free. Look, if you don't engage the Spirit of God as you walk through these things, this is not going to help you. If you're not actively pursuing the Lord, if you're, not, if you're not walking in that relationship with him as he changes your heart, changes your mind, if you're not in constant repentance and, and confession and allowing him to change the way that you think and, and the way that you live, then this is not going to help you. Then I'm just like anybody else that's written a self-help book that you look at and you go, okay, if I try those things, freedom doesn't happen as an act of your flesh. Freedom is where the spirit of the Lord is. So if you don't engage the spirit of God, let me just tell you, you will not have freedom. You may trick yourself, and it may be for a moment, you go, woohoo, I'm free, but I promise you it's coming back. All right? So do you, you hear me? If you don't apply these things from the relationship that you have with the spirit of God, these, these will not help you, okay? Okay? I need everybody in agreement. So not, okay, not or amen or thumbs up. Shiloh and I do the, that's, you hear me, buddy? I got you there. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Principle number one. You are not fighting towards victory. You're not fighting to try to win a victory over porn. Okay? You're fighting from victory. There is a huge difference. And let me just say this as I go through these things. There, there's going to be some of the things we, we've talked about before. Please don't check out if you've heard some of this before. There's principles that we need to go back over in order to really create a good picture here. But you're not fighting towards victory as if it's something to be achieved. You're fighting from it, meaning it's already been won. Go to Romans 6. And as you do, listen to this. I want you to just hear these words, okay? And then we're going to look at them in the scriptures. Sin does not have power over you. Come on, you got to hear that because some of you do not believe that in this, in this room. Some of you would believe that you're, you're, you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and you still believe that sin somehow has power and influence in your life. Let me just tell you this again. Sin does not have power over you. Go to Romans chapter six. I'm going to show you this in the scriptures. There's a total shift in mindset here. 
All right, Romans 6, let's just read verse 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Listen to this question. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Paul almost introduces this as a preposterous scenario that sin could occur in our lives. How could we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, listen, come on, listen. You know that your old self, your old your old addicted self, your old self that could only do what it wanted to do, that was fed by its own passions and desires, that self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to, say it loud, nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Our theology looks a little bit more like this. I'm sure glad I'm a Christian because I'm going to go to heaven someday, but I'm still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. I'm saved by grace, but I'm still a sinner. And though I believe in most areas of my life I have victory, sin still ultimately has some level of power over me because I just can't seem to kick these things. And the only way that I'll ever actually be free is someday in heaven. I, I'm not sure that that's what this book says. I, I don't know how we've gotten there, but Romans 6 seems pretty clear that the work of the cross was a crucifixion. That's a destroying of your old self that was led by sin, destroying of your old self, and then something new happened. You become alive again so that the body of sin might come to nothing. For those of us that are alive in Christ, we're not slaves to sin. That's not a, that's not a future reality. That's right now, church. Beloved, do you believe that? That right now, right, no matter what, listen, I don't care what you brought in this room, that right now sin is dead in you. It's not waiting around to come out when you least expect it and get you. It's dead. We live in fear of a dead thing. That's kind of creepy. You ever, were you ever a little kid and thought the monster was in the closet? Nobody? Everybody had a monster in the closet or under the bed or in the woods or whatever. I mean, there's, there's a monster somewhere and it's going to get you. That's why we live with sin. We're not quite sure how to track it down. We're not quite sure what it looks like and what it feels like, but it's out there. And when I close my eyes, it's coming. That's the way we believe about sin. Listen, we're laughing, but that's what we believe. That it's still alive in me, that it still has power over me. And the moment that I least expect it, it's going to jump out and it's going to get me. Sin is dead Go to Colossians chapter 1. I just, we got to keep proving this point. Because we just, I'm telling you, we don't believe it. 
You guys are nodding in here, but you're not there yet. Come on. Come on. Sin is dead. Listen to this. This is, this is crazy. Colossians chapter 1. Oh, wait. A lot of turning going on here. It's all right. It's all right. If you're still turning, keep going. Colossians 1. Listen, verse 13. He, speaking of Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Yeah, amen. I mean, come on. (laughs) Delivered from that place where sin had absolute rule and reign over you, where darkness was your only option. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. And look at this, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness. Listen, there's new rules. (laughs) In the domain of darkness, you were totally enslaved to sin. All you ever did was the thing you thought and felt was best. You're a walking reaction to the world around you. And your reaction was just to please you. Anybody live there? All of us, everybody in here. (laughs) You're either there now or you've lived there at some point. When Christ interjected salvation into your life, what happened is a total shift occurred. That slavery that you were in, that domain of darkness that you lived in, he literally picked you up and took you out of that world and made you a son in the kingdom of his father. You're missing it. You were a slave in sin. You could do nothing but sin. And he picked you up by the power of his blood and he put you over here in the kingdom of the beloved son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He set you free from that bondage. But most of us live right here as if we're still over there. You ever met like a real bratty kid because of the position of their father? Some of that swagger that we just don't like. Some of them are brats, right? (laughs) Some kids whose dad's in a high position, some of them are are brats, and some of them just got a little swagger that rubs us wrong because they know who their dad is. Some of them just got a little bit of confidence that we don't have. We walk around like we don't know who our dad is. We submit to sin. We turn on the computer like we don't know who our dad is. We listen to the enemy like we don't know who our dad is. When in reality, if we were to walk in what we've been given, when the enemy came and whispered what he wants to whisper, we would with absolute confidence and authority crush his head and walk over him. And we all, listen, I love that you're amening. I love it. Stop amening and live like this is true. This is our issue. We get in this room and we go, yeah, yeah. But we get out there and the pressure comes, we forget. Listen, I'm, <laughs> I will never get another amen ever. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wasn't, that, wasn't, that wasn't the point. They're like, well, I'm not doing that again. He's such a jerk when I amen. <laughs> Listen, all I'm, all I'm trying to say is we've got to have a shift. We gotta quit, we gotta quit looking at sin and fighting as if we've gotta conquer it. And we gotta know this, that it's already been conquered and done on our behalf. All we're doing is walking in what we've already been given. That's what we gotta learn to do. We're training to try to beat sin. You don't have to. You don't have to. The blood of the cross destroyed sin. You've been given the gift of that destruction. 
Now, what we've got to do is we've got to learn to live in the wake of that gift. Now, there is training that occurs there, but it's not training to beat sin. It's training to stay in the victory that, all, that God has already given. You with me? Are you with me? Okay. All right, we can move on. Whew. Miss Perry, where are you at? She's getting baptized today. Come on, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped because here's what it is. It's a picture of that very thing. She's going to go to a place of death. She's going to go underwater. If I leave her there, she's going to die. But I'm not going to leave her there. <laughs> I'm not. We're going to pull her up. And if God would have left us there, we would have we dead. We were destined to die. We were in death. But he didn't. By the cross, he raised us to new life. You're going to see a picture of what we just talked about. And I'm just excited about it, so I figured I'd say it. There it is. There's that Shiloh. <laughs> All right. Here's the deal. I'm going to go over this quick. John 8 says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. If you're a believer in here, if you're a Christian in here, that means you didn't set you free. That means Christ set you free. And here's what the scripture says, that if that's true, if the Son has set you free, then you're free indeed. What that means is you're free absolutely. It's not a question. If the Son has set you free, you are absolutely free. So here's the deal. Some of you are going, yeah, but, yeah, but. but I mean, look, I looked at porn before I walked in here. And I'm going to look, I, I have plans to look at it when I leave. It doesn't change the fact that you're free. The reality of what you're struggling with doesn't change the kingdom reality of your freedom. You with me? See, this is a huge shift. Because most of us believe that in order to live in that freedom, you go, yeah, that's great. You talk about that freedom, but I've got to do this, this, and this in order to actually have it. That's not true. That's not true at all. You've been given the freedom. In fact, the reality is that you sit in here free. I don't care how bound up you actually feel like you are. Your feeling doesn't change the reality of the kingdom. And the kingdom says that you're free. You've been set free by the sun, so you're free absolutely. What we've got to do is realize how to live and think differently. Our problem is right here. We're not thinking according to the truth. And the truth is that you're free. So, hey, that's good news. That's good news. If you're in here bound up, it's good news. Because you're not actually bound up. You're free. And you just got to learn to look at it differently. If you look at it differently, you believe differently. If you believe differently, you live differently. I always tell people in deliverance ministry, if, I believe, if you believed right now that you were a dog, just right, canine, I don't mean the ugly, <laughs> a canine, <laughs> what would you do? Would your behavior change? I mean, if you believed it at the core of your being, would your behavior change? You'd start barking. barking. If I rolled a ball across the stage, some of you might go after it, right? You'd start shaking your ear because you'd think there was some tail attached, right? You live according to what you think. You live according to what you believe. Your actions follow what you believe. So here's what we've got to do as believers. We've got to start to think about what's true. We've got to start to align ourselves with what is real, because what we believe is a lie. We believe that we're still bound up, and so we live like it, but that's a lie. So if we believe that we're free and think like we're free, how do you think we're going to behave? Like free men and women. You with me? The problem's not in the area of our behavior. 
porn is not the problem. What you believe and how you think are the problems. Because if those change, porn is easy. I know, I know that, that saying that is almost frustrating to some of you that are in it. But listen to this. I'm going to just, I'm going to close with this. I didn't even get to first point. Good grief. <laughs> Here's the deal. Here's how I know. Um, when I was in the seventh grade, a friend of mine's dad, not Christian family, but it doesn't matter anymore. A friend of mine's dad brought home a, a Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. He said, I'm done with it, guys. Threw it to his son. Seventh grade. I'd never seen anything like, I mean, I live in a godly home. Doesn't mean my parents didn't make any mistakes. They did, I'm sure. And I'm sure I tried to tell them about it. <laughs> but I never, I never seen anything like that before. I'd never been exposed to anything like that before. And you go, that's not even porn. Have you, I mean, come on. He proceeds to go upstairs and we look at it. My mind is totally triggered and gone at that point. I got to get more of that. I worked at a grocery store and we had those magazines. I, 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 it was like, oh, that's what's behind that plastic thing. Went after it. I would take, I would take breaks in my job and steal from the, from the place I worked in order to view it. This trigger had been flipped in my mind from the seventh grade until a year into our marriage. I struggled with pornography. Now, I was in the generation where the internet was just starting to become this accessible thing where it was, I mean, everybody could get to it, right? It was kind of just coming past this world of dial-up and into what, we, what you probably referred to as high-speed internet, right? We didn't, it didn't start out that way. It started out with these awful sounds and, you know, it's like, anyway, and, and, then, and then all you could do is like check your email once a week, you know? That's what it, that's what it started. But now it's a high-speed internet. And a kid that didn't have any, now I was a Christian, but with no foundation of freedom, and this was a totally new thing. My parents didn't know how to, how to deal with it, and I was so, I was hiding all of it. Listen, from seventh grade, you hear me? From seventh grade until a year, not, listen, and if you think that some circumstance is going to wake you up, the vows didn't wake me up. Standing in front of the woman that I love more deeply than anything else on this planet, looking her in the face, didn't change the reality of what I believe. If you're waiting for a circumstance to just shake you and wake you up, I want to tell you, it's not going to happen. We think that way, and it's, that's that wrong thinking that behavior is just going to change. If I just get shocked into behaving a different way, it didn't change for me. And I love my wife. I loved my wife then, but I was hooked and addicted. And so for a year into my marriage, I struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled, and she struggled. Lindsay knew, and she struggled and she struggled. And I tried everything in the book, everything that all these junk self-help books tell you. I just, I said, all right, if I'm just telling the story, you guys all right? I even went to the point where I had a picture of Jesus. When, I mean, like, not like there's no selfie of Jesus, but it's like I had a painting. Listen to me. I'm not messing around. I had a painting of Jesus on my computer screen because I thought if I can just look at the cross, it'll be enough. You go, man, you're twisted. <laughs> Maybe, but so are you. <laughs> we all are. 
We're all so twisted and busted and broken, absent the power of the cross. And I thought if I can just change the way that I believe, if I can just, sorry, not the way that I believe, the way I behave, if I can just hate myself enough, if I can just love my wife enough, it'll change. And it never changed. One day, and it caught me out of nowhere. I've been asking God for freedom. God, help me, help me. God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. I had no idea God was doing this. But in, on, running parallel to the worst part of my struggle, God's teaching me about the Holy Spirit. I didn't connect the dots <laughs> at all. God's talking to me about what it looks like to be full of the Holy Spirit and, and, and the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. And I'm learning and I'm soaking this up. I'm going, whoa, they didn't teach that in Sunday school. Nobody, nobody told me about this power. Nobody told me about this authority. And I'm not bashing church. I'm just saying, nobody told me this. I just thought I had Jesus in my heart and I behaved well until I die. That was my reality of Christianity. And I started opening the pages of Acts and went, whoa, 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 whoa. They're living a different way. I started reading the words of Jesus and the promise that he gave about the Holy Spirit. I'm going, wait a minute, that's different. God's teaching me about the power of the Holy Spirit. And then one day I'm sitting in church it's, I, I started serving as a youth pastor in Sundown. We, had, we still had evening church. Most of y'all don't even know what that is. Like we had church on Sunday night. Some of y'all do. But we did it every night. That's been centuries we've done that. <laughs> Sunday and Wednesday night, man, we were in church. And the pastor would do a study. And I, I, can, I can tell you this totally came out of left field. I was totally checked out. I could think of nothing else but this Holy Spirit thing. I was just wrestling with, God, if this is true, if this is real, then I want to live this way. And I'm in there, I'm in that room. He's finishing the, the, the message and I just begin to pray. Okay, God, I don't even know how to pray for this. I don't even know how to ask for this, but I want to live according to the reality of your Holy Spirit. I want to live in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Fill me, God. Fill me, God. Fill me, God. And without any explanation, men in our church came and laid their hands on me and just began to pray. I don't know, I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> All I knew was God had opened my eyes to a different way to live. God was showing me what was in me. God was filling me with what was in me. This wasn't a problem of whether I had the Holy Spirit or not. I did. I just didn't know him. He was there and in fullness the whole time. I just didn't know who he was. And God was saying, hey, <laughs> this is the thing that I've given you for you to overcome, not porn, but for you to live righteous. This is the thing I've given you to change the world. You need to meet him. And I was meeting the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you that night, I walked away with a whole lot of stuff. But one of those things is a realization that what I had been struggling with was a dead thing. And that with this new power, with this new thing realized in my life, I could live free. And I gathered some of the, the elder men in our church. And I said, hey, this has been an issue. You need to know about this. I'm the youth pastor here. I've struggled for this long. You need to know about it. But it's dead and gone. And from that day to now, it has never, ever, ever, uh, ever again existed in my life. Now, that's great news, and I got to finish. That's great news, but it's not, listen, and I'm not saying that because we do that. We go, this is my streak. I haven't looked at porn in six months. This is my streak. That's all based in effort thinking. When I realize that it's not about how I behave, it's about the power that's in me, everything changed. When I realized the victory had already been given, everything changed. When I realized the power of the Holy Spirit in me, everything changed. We're going to talk about the next two principles, three principles next week. The first one is that you fight from victory. God, help us to realize this truth. 
I pray that every person in here, whether they're struggling with porn or not, every person in here would realize the degree to which you have paid for their freedom and that they are free. No matter what they're struggling with right now, the reality, the truth is that they're free. Just pray for that change of mind, that change of belief to occur. In Jesus' name, amen.